Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, joined by none other uh, than Paul Wadlington. Uh, Paul is a longtime Longhorn uh, writer, uh, talks about the horns in a way and writes about the horns in a way few uh, can. Uh, formerly known as Scipio Tex, uh, long-term uh, guy uh, covering the horns and someone I enjoy talking to one-on-one uh, in these settings and, in, and on his podcast as well. Uh, and he's just a terrific overall good guy as well as a Longhorn. Uh, Paul, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate being on as always. This is starting to become a regular thing. I'm liking it. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I think that uh, we both uh, we both have a uh, penchant for going on the very weird tangents that somehow we, we get some kernels of thought out of there that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, we we lack discipline. What's that? We lack show discipline. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that that's that would be me. I think. Um, speaking of thought, uh, you have created a book called Thinking Texas Football. Uh, it is available on Amazon uh, as well as another of uh, of other uh, outlets, including uh, you can get it on a Kindle through Amazon as well as a hard copy. Paul, tell people a little bit about it. Uh, if you haven't already got it, we've promoted this before. And, I know you said sales were going really well. So tell people a little bit about it and why I think it's the best book. And I think you do too, available uh, to Longhorn fans. Well, thanks, Bobby. It's uh, You can buy the hard copy at Amazon, as you see there on the graphic. You can also buy it on Apple. And if you want to buy actually the Kindle version, go to Smashwords. It's got an easy Kindle conversion. Super, super easy. Tons of people have done it. And it's, this is the 10th year that I've been doing this. It's a passion project. And uh, I pour my heart and soul into it. And I try to create the most informative, most entertaining Texas football, Big 12, and Texas opponent preview possible. I also add a bunch of other stuff, uh, little nuggets. Eric Nalin wrote a great recruiting section this year. Uh, I wrote something about NIL and its future impacts. Some of the things that I wrote in that essay are already uh, proving to be true this summer, Bobby, uh, as, as co college football evolves. 150 pages of burnt orange goodness. And I think the ultimate compliment is I had some Big 12 rivals who, who buy this book to get the best insight on their team and the other Big 12 teams. And they said really nice complimentary things. So uh, I really appreciate you supporting it. And uh, yeah, you guys jump in. Be, I'd love to have you as a reader. Well, I think, I think it's terrific. And you mentioned it's an enjoyable read. It's also the most thorough book out there. Um, I, I love, I mean, every Texas football fan or grew up covering or wanting to uh, be interested in recruiting or high school sports in Texas, you read Texas football. It's terrific. Um, Dave Campbell's, you know, created the industry almost uh, at the same time. It, it's only got two or three pages on the Longhorns. So that's, that, that's where uh, people like Paul come in and uh, really uh, fill a, a whole different void as well as InsideTexas.com, which Paul and I also write for the website. Uh, and so, uh, we try to think about the Longhorns 24-7, and I, I think that that's what uh, we all try to do. Uh, Paul, uh, some stuff happening uh, today, or yesterday, excuse me, uh, on the 40 acres. Uh, Ajay Hall, talented uh, wide receiver transfer from Alabama uh, by way of Valrico, Florida, uh, is indefinitely suspended uh, by Steve Sarkeesian, but he is not kicked off the team entirely. He's suspended nope. from team uh, team uh, stuff. So he's staying with the team. I think it's like the Ishmael Ibrahim regime, right? Ish Ibrahim uh, 
uh, got suspended. Uh, so uh, he's out, uh, but now he's already back. Ish is already back uh, this fall and, and running, I think, second or third team at corner. Sounds like the same thing for a Jai Hall. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this sort of indefinite suspension? Is this a, a good way to go for coaches? It's, it's the purgatory of, of no heaven, no hell, right? You sit in purgatory and think about your sins. Uh, well, he got the boot, the figurative boot from Alabama. He got an actual boot in Austin. I think uh, there's reliable journalism, Bobby, that says he's now been double booted because he tried to unsuccessfully kick off the first boot with wearing flip-flops, which not a good tactical move. Uh, and then we're going to find out if he gets the actual boot from Texas. I think this is his last chance. Um, look, I'm not going to get into it. There were some transgressions that preceded this. Nothing serious, but basically showing that he hasn't quite gotten the plot that he was asked to leave Alabama for a reason. Let's not beat around the bush. And the hope was that a change of environment would mature him and give him a little bit of a shock and that he needs to understand that he needs to go about his business a little bit more responsibly. It's probably not the case that he's done that. And so I think this is his, his last opportunity. And I think he's going to sit in purgatory for a while and the coaches are going to see if he's, if he's starting to get it. Uh, I also think that the coaches probably this late at this late juncture realize he doesn't really have many landing spots. So it's in his best interest and certainly the program's best interest to see if he can, you know, have a little come to Jesus before he gets sent to Boot Hill. Yeah, I, look, I mean, you could say what we want any which way. I mean, try to paint it uh, with a, you know, pretty brush. But right now it, it, he is in a situation where he's uh, proven uh, that he's maybe a problem and the locker room or a distraction is what I wrote on Friday uh, to the team. So if you're a distraction, Steve Sarkeesian doesn't need that right now. Yeah. Uh, his team, he's trying to build a team uh, and create a culture of winning that uh, from a team that was five and seven a year ago. So he's already running uphill, right? Trying to push the car uphill. He doesn't need someone dragging him back down. Nope. Um, now at the same time, football players and young people make mistakes. That's part of life, right? Uh, but at some point, you have to you have to figure out that uh, place where it's a happy median of sorts. It's not too much, not too little. Uh, to your point, putting him in timeout for three months, four months, uh, or uh, six weeks, whatever whatever Sark thinks is right, uh, may be smart. It, it may be just what the doctor ordered. Hopefully, for the young man, right? Devil's advocate here. Uh... Idle hands are the devil's playground. And if he's not involved in team activities or he's not put on a regimented schedule, is, is the idea that he's going to, you know, go study the playbook in his dorm room by himself and run routes and work out? Or is he going to have the opportunity to get into more mischief? Uh, you know, I also think the boot thing is probably being overdone. I think the more concerning thing for the team is that he hasn't invested completely in the team, right? He's still the guy that's going to show up late, he's going to have an excuse. He's going to not have this and that. And uh, he's not going to know where to run on, you know, this route because he didn't pay attention in the film room. You know, that's the stuff that's probably more concerning just from a pure cut and dried football perspective. You know, look, I raise your hand if you're without sin as a UT student. Uh, I could list my transgressions and you'd, you'd think I need to go to Rikers Island. Yet 
I was, you know, a clean cut, nice guy who opened doors for, for old women. Right. But, um, I just think that he needs to mature and this is an opportunity for, for him to grow up, but it needs to happen pretty fast. He needs to get off Twitter and Instagram and maybe do a little introspection and think about what he wants to really do in his life. I think it's a good point. I mean, what an idle, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? That's what, uh, That's right. yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, there's truth in that. At the same time, there are people that if they take that time and actually work on it, Ish Ibrahim is, a, is an example, I think. He took the time, got, got the stuff handled. Uh, he's back on the field now. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out. The one thing about it is, Paul, it's all up to him. You know, it's not on anybody else. Uh, so I, I, the problem that I have uh, with it, and I think you do too, is that, you know, it, it doesn't, his issues don't just affect him. I was talking to Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd on Friday about this. And, you know, what does this do to the wide receiver room for the Longhorns? Um, I think it takes a big time playmaker off the field. Not some, no, not so much someone that, um, that is going to be consistently great, but someone that can scare people a little, little bit over the top, right? You have to guard this guy or else he, He's going to, I mean, he's going to beat you deep because he is that kind of guy athletically and speed wise. Yeah. You know, ultimately he's found money. And while the theory of Mr. Hall is, is that he's this phenomenal athlete. Uh, part of the frustration at Bama was he didn't know where to run. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know where to, you know, what his responsibilities were. And he didn't always catch the ball. And I think the, those things have carried over to Texas. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's theoretically a threat, but if, if you can't actually convert it, uh, you know, I understand that the idea is, Hey, just have him run a fly route and, you know, but you know, he's not guaranteed to catch it. Uh, there might be more value in it, in going all in on Tariq Milton, right? Savvy veteran knows exactly what's expected of him. He's going to do exactly what he's told. You know, the, the big play potential is provided already. We've got Worthy. We've got Nair. We've got Whittington, who, who is a big play threat after he catches the ball. So, uh, you know, nothing wrong with a little steady reliability to, to complement those guys as well. Yeah, and, and I feel, like, um, I feel that, like that's true. The thing that it's not even so much if Ajay Hall um, is – catching the ball all the time, Paul, it's that he, he has to be accounted for on a deep route. If he runs a post, I mean, he just has to be because he is that fast and he will beat people. So I, I'm, I, I see, I hear what you're saying about him being found money. I disagree slightly because I think that as you look at the depth of the, of the, of the team, it's, it thins out. You and I agree with this. It thins out quite a bit after the first group. Right. Oh, yeah. and so anybody that can, scare someone that's in the second or third group starts becoming, it takes on amplified importance of, 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 of some level. I, I, I still, I, I'm, I agree with much of what you said. The first three are legit guys. You and I are, I don't know that we've ever seen a top three like Texas has at receiver this year. I, it, what you agree with that? I mean, we talked about this before, but a top three, this good. Yeah, I guess the B.J. Johnson, Roy Williams, Sloan Thomas group, right? 
That's the that's the debate. Yeah. Well, or I, I really think the best group probably was was Quan, uh, Shipley, and maybe then Brandon Collins is the third. If you didn't count uh, David Thomas in that group. So. Yeah, that's an interesting debate. Um, I mean, look, Roy Williams was as dominant a college receiver as I've seen, right? I mean, he that that LSU team who w- went on to win the national championship the next year, he utterly dominated them single-handedly in the Cotton Bowl, right? He won the game for Texas in a game that Texas didn't play, play particularly well, if you recall it. Um, he had that ability to just utterly dominate a game. So I guess you pair him off with Worthy, Right. And then you got BJ Johnson, I guess, against Nayer. And then I guess you have Jordan Whittington against Sloan Thomas. So I guess you got to pick your pick your impacts there. Um, I don't know. Look, I probably a lot of this is gonna rest on Nayer, right? Uh how how is he is he is Nayer good or is Nayor like you know a second round draft pick in the NFL? We're gonna find out this year. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to the next topic, if you don't mind. I think we Not talked about the, oh yeah, yeah, we talked about the receivers pretty pretty These good boots there. Are for walking, Bobby. <laughs> That's just what they'll do, Paul. That's um, right. <laughs> let's move to the young offensive lineman. It's been maybe the topic of uh, conversation outside of the quarterback uh, question. Um, and uh, <laughs> the question I have for you uh, is the young offensive line. Uh, we've we've heard behind the scenes that Kelvin Banks is. And they've talked about it in front of the microphone as well, whether it's Xavier Worthy or, or uh, Ovio Gufu uh, on Friday. Uh, they've talked about Kelvin Banks as well. Yep. Uh, but it's not just him. We're hearing Cam Williams is doing well. DJ Campbell uh, has a chance to play early. Cole Hudson obviously is in the mix as well. Um, what do you make of that? Um, is that something you really uh, – I mean, I – I'm I'm confused a little bit about what I really think there because part of me is like, wow, these guys are really good. And the other part of me is, are they really that good or is what they're replacing not not that good? And maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think we got a little bit of both. Um, I'm on the record and I'm in, in, the, in the Texas Thinking Texas football preview. I write about it that this is a special group of offensive linemen. And I understand that the class of beef thing is done at Texas. You've seen it, what, four or five times now under different coaches. And they never quite pan out because half the time at the culmination of the class, you throw on the film of their high school and you're like, this is, you just, this is like a volume description. This is not a quality description, right? But these guys are, are really, really good. And that's great. That said, really, really good true freshmen should probably not come in and supplant a bunch of fourth and fifth year seniors in your program. Uh, that's, that's alarming. We're going to see, look, I think Kelvin Banks might be just that special. He might be, I'm not saying he's Jonathan Ogden, but if you, I mean, these guys are so physically mature. It's, it's shocking to see their size. I mean, you were, you were laughing and remarking that they showed the first team O-line and they showed the second team O-line and, the second team O-line looked like the college starting O-line, right? They looked like a major college O-line. They're just gigantic. And, you know, the first team guys looked a little more like scrapper type guys. Um, I think Banks is playing. I mean, that's he's going to start. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Now the question is best five. 
And so they're doing some stuff with Junior Angelau at center to see if they can get a little more size there because clearly Sark, you know, Sark's, a, he's going to say, I run everything and Flood's going to say, I can coach everything. They want to run inside zone. Okay. And, and they want to base the RPO game out of inside zone because that's what Sark likes to do. And he thinks he can make the plays look the most similar running that um, an outside zone has its own um, coordination issues that if you can nail it's it's a symphony, it's beautiful, but if you can't nail it, man, it's, it's a lot of second and 13. So if they want to get more size at center and they want to try to do junior there, that's fine. We'll see. We'll see how that, what that manifests. But in addition to banks, you're going to free up Hayden Connor potentially, right? If you can get a, a tackle who's already on campus or was already on campus before these freshmen to step up, whether that's Carrick or Jones, uh, you have the chance to play Hayden Connor at guard. And that's exciting, right? I mean, just he is a big, reliable dude that you can run behind in, in hard yardage situations. The other thing that's interesting is we talk Cole Hudson, the one early enrollee, boy, that was not only did he get a head start doing that, but Cole Hudson's been a revelation. We've kind of buried the fact that this guy's getting reps with the ones. And I don't think it's just to get a look. I think they're trying to figure out if he's one of their best five offensive linemen. And uh, that's exciting. I watched that spring game. And at first I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know, Cole Hudson, man, he's good for, wow, that's really good. He's really good for a freshman. This is supposed to be like a high floor guy, not huge upside. And then as the game progressed, I was like, this guy's playing really well for a starter, much less a freshman. So that's exciting. But to your point, Bobby, to, to rain on the parade a little, the, the Eeyore part of this is, uh, is it a good sign that a bunch of your freshmen come in, even as talented as they are, and they are immediately, you know, three days into pads, they're already maybe starting to supplant people. It's a little scary. Let, yeah, it, it is. Let's talk about this, okay? Because I, I look at the list right now, and the top offensive linemen going into uh, fall practice, before, Taking away the the, the uh, taking away the incoming freshman or even Cole Hudson, they were Hay Hayden Connor, Junior Angelau, Jake Majors, Andre Carich, and Christian Jones. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. And so, and so you set it there in order, but I would say it goes more like this: Hayden Connor. Next guy. And then all the guys under him. Like, I, I think there's this considerable gap between Hayden Connor and those other guys, which is also and, interesting given that he's a sophomore. Yeah. And that's the point, right? Is so that's that, those are the five, though. Connor can play up and down the line anywhere but center, we think. Yep. Um, given that, you know, where I don't, Anglau has played guard. Struggles in pass protection, good at run blocking, not horrible in pass protection. He's not, no offense to Patrick Vahe, four-year starter for the Longhorns, but Patrick was a poor pass protector, generally speaking. Angle was not that. He's better at a pass protection there. 
Um, Jake Majors has two almost two years of starting experience. Um, yet, you know, they seem to be looking for a way to figure out how to get these bigger guys on the field simultaneously. And they, they're they're running Anglau a lot at, at center right now. And I know that's for in case of injury in part, but given guys like Devon Campbell and uh, the ability of, of someone like Cole Hudson, at what point do those guys, does Jake Majors really get a run at center? Uh, a run Is it a real battle perhaps with Anglau and Majors at center? Could I be. I think um, Coach UT Football, uh, the the guy, the, the post run inside Texas, I just completely blanked on his handle, but he made a good point, which is, you know, the most basic element of center is getting a good, good snap. And if you're going to, you know, modern offenses, most of your time spent in shotgun. If, if Junior Angelou just, you know, sails a snap or two a game, you lose all the advantage that you think you might get. So one of the things that Jake Majors is good at is good, secure center snap. He certainly knows what he's doing. He knows the scheme. Um, and, and as I pointed out many times, he's good in outside zone. He's good at cutting off defenders. He's good at getting his head across. Uh, I think his struggles, perhaps exaggerated at times, have come against, you know, sort of monster nose tackles head up. Uh, but there are ways to help out a center. You know, you, you could overcome that. Junior, as you said, he's demonstrated some lack of awareness sometimes at guard as a pass protector. Similar to Vahe. Uh, why aren't these Polynesians more comfortable on an island, Bobby? <laughs> Sorry. Good, good one there. Good one. But yeah, I do think if you show a lack of awareness at guard sometimes, is that going to get better at center? Because the center is the guy you want to be the most aware on your offensive line. And, and certainly, hey, let's add another layer to this, Bobby. If you start a true freshman quarterback, which is a real possibility for the Longhorns, don't you want an, a very experienced center helping make the line calls, helping make the protection calls, helping call out the Mike linebacker? So I think there's a lot of considerations here beyond height, weight, and who's better at rooting out a 330-pound nose tackle. Yeah, I look, I that's why I thought of every single position on the field, his was the most secure heading into camp. Yep. I mean, I thought Majors was more secure than Hayden Connor or Anglau, who was a three-year starter at guard. And so, so Connor's lack of security is just because he didn't have an assigned position. He right. started. We know yeah. that. We just don't yeah. know where. I get it. And that's my point is at the end of the day, you start adding guys like Kelvin Banks to the mix. You add Cole Hudson, who's better than, than many thought headed in. And all of a sudden you're looking at Christian Jones, maybe not starting. I think Andre Carrich probably not going to start at this point. We don't know. You know, we, we have to, we don't want to put the cart before the horse, but it's sounding like that's, it could be headed that way. Mm -hmm. You're starting well, to, try to figure out what iteration of this is even going to work. And if they are able to get the best five, if they, I mean, they're not going to bench junior Anglau, I wouldn't think. So, I mean, how, you know, what, what's the idea here? Well, let, let me, two things. Let me challenge that. Why not bench junior Anglau if he's not one of the best five? I, because of experience in part. Um, yeah. uh, and in part, I mean, he's, 
he's pretty good run blocker. He's not a bad run blocker. Um, and so I, I don't know. Um, it, obviously, if the other guy's better, you do. But I can't – going into this year, I couldn't foresee a scenario where we would even ask that question. Even That's with five – even with the, the, the seven newcomers on the offense line. I couldn't fathom that as a true question, that we would be questioning whether or not Junior Angle. I, I, I get maybe Christian Jones because of, of his ability or inability in pass protection uh, or pass success. Uh, I get Andre Karich, but really Connor, Majors, and Angle, I thought were guys, right? I yeah. thought I thought they were going to be guys. And you start adding guys like Cole Hudson and um, Kelvin Banks, then all of a sudden a, a Devon Campbell or Cam Williams, who they're talking about highly, start peeking in there. Then where does it really lead, um, you know, a month from now, right? And so that's that's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, you know, the other thing is this certainly makes a, a lot more sense about making 12 the base set. Because if you're going to be moving in a lot of new parts on that offensive line, it helps to spread out the defense. You've, they've got eight gaps in the run game. You could do a lot more base run blocking, right? Because you actually you, – you make the defense have to, you know, protect the edges – that means they, you spread out the interior, opens up inside zone a little bit, and you've now got tight ends who can help out with blocking assignments, right? Uh, and it also limits some of the blitz packages that a DC can run when you're in 12. Um, yeah, I was talking put, to... Does it put Texas's most deadly skill personnel on the field? Nope. But it may be the base look, and base meaning not that's our that's not the offense we're in 90% of the time. That's not what I'm discussing. But it's your base to start the game, get a sense of what's going on, and then you start to build out from there. That's interesting because I was talking to Brian Irwin, uh, former football coach uh, at uh, Lamarck. Uh, it's up in the at Flower Mound, Marcus, I think. A couple other places. Won a state championship, a couple state championships at Lamarck last weekend. He thinks that they should maybe look at at twenty one per or a lot of two back stuff. Um, I, I love 21 personnel for this group. The problem is yeah. Roshan Johnson can't put his hand down at the end of the line of scrimmage and block a defensive end or an edge. Yeah. Uh, I love Roshan. And certainly Bijan can't do that. And you prefer to either have him catching the ball or running the ball. So that, that's the deficit of 21. 21 to me is deadly. You roll it out there to see how they cover it. Because to me, that's a passing formation for Texas, potentially. If a team treats that as a, as a as a base offense, like they run out their base D, you know, four three three four, I'm throwing to Bijan every single time. I'm throwing to Roshan. I'm 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 opening up the passing game out of twenty one, and I'm running some fly and jet sweep candy behind with the two backs just to draw eyes and open up gaps. I agree with them hundred percent. I think twenty one can be deadly. I just don't think you can help the offensive line as much with, with 21. Um, all right. I think, I think we've, we've, we've kind of veered off a little bit there, but I think it all stemmed right from the offensive line discussion, yep. uh, which, you know, we, they have, uh, Texas has a scrimmage tonight. Uh, uh, it'll be the first one of the uh, preseason. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, said on Wednesday that the difference uh, between scrimmage and playing or between a scrimmage and what they've been doing in uh, two a days with in full pads thus far 
is the cons consistent number of plays that are going to be scrimmage related. Yep. It's not going to be five plays, then let's talk about it. It's going to be play after play after play after play. It's going to be the first one uh, that they're going to have. Um, let, let's, let's move on to something else, and, and this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, and that's recruiting. Uh, Texas scored a, a commitment from uh, the guy that on three ranks, the number one running back in the recruiting class for 2023, and that's Cedric Baxter out of Orlando's Edgewater High School. Um, Paul, add in Arch Manning, uh, a five-star quarterback out of uh, New Orleans, scion of the Manning family. Add in guys like Malik Muhammad uh, and uh, Jonte Cook out of the Metroplex, Derek Williams, another one out of Louisiana that's a, a borderline five-star. And then you have a host of offensive and defensive linemen that Texas really likes, like Sadir Mitchell, Dylan Spencer, and then the five offensive linemen, actually. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts overall on Texas and its recruiting efforts right now vis-a-vis uh, -vis what you've seen them do in the past? I think it's been a great balance of in-state and out-of-state recruiting. And, you know, I mean, look, Texas has tons of talent. The fact is recruiting – Talent levels, both globally and by position, year by year in the state, vary. You've been an observer of this state forever. And there's years where you cannot believe how many quarterbacks there are. And then there's and the, you know, the number six guy in the state is better than the best quarterback the next year. It's just, just how it is. And so you really need to have that ability to go get a position or who you like. And let's be, let's be clear, Texas bypassed Ruben Owens because they believed they were going to land this guy in Florida. Uh, you know, a nine walked up to them in the club and said, let's get out of here. And Texas said, I'm holding out for a 10. We're good. Uh, that takes some confidence, but obviously Texas knew what was going to happen. And obviously we get a lot of juice out of the fact that this is guys also from Florida because of the quality of football and the quality of athlete played there. It's just as big a deal if the guys from New Hampshire in a sense, right? Just the player himself. I, I know that there's a message being sent to that we can come into Florida and land a player. Uh, that's great. But I'm just talking about the player, you know, just go where the players are. And I think sometimes Texas is recruited in state exclusively to their detriment, particularly the end of the Mac Brown era. And then there were times when, because Texas couldn't get traction in state under Tom Herman, for example, we had to go out of state. Uh, Charlie Strong, you know, they built up the Florida Five and all that. You know, that, that just turned out to be a mirage. It was, it was nothing. And it was really about an inability to gain traction in the state. So what Sark is showing me is I can go get the best players in the state. I can go get great players out of the state. That said, being able to go in and get guys in Louisiana, whew, that's a big deal. Because there's such a powerful force to drive those guys to LSU. And if not LSU, Alabama. Alabama's had a lot of success rating Louisiana. And then, of course, Texas A&M. They have a long history of going into Louisiana. They, they view it as an extension of East Texas. If Texas can go in there and get elite defensive backs from Louisiana, which Louisiana is always churning out, that's that's a huge deal. And not just the, the, the safety, um, but this cornerback, I, I think he's coming to Texas. We'll see. But yeah, that's a, that's a huge deal as well. 
And just like Florida, there's a kind of Louisiana athlete, you know, it's a broad generalization. It's just, these guys just have not developed the way they have this raw athletic ability, but they have not developed in the weight room, the way sometimes a lot of Texas athletes have. And sometimes you get a bad read on some of these Texas four stars who, you know, they had a personal trainer since they were 11 and they're all developed and man, they're great high school players, but they can't level up because they're already maxed out a little bit. You look at Baxter, he ain't, he ain't maxed out. He's a 17 year old who looks like he hasn't really done a lot of weightlifting and he's already 215 pounds. Uh, Same thing for the Louisiana DBs. Paul, uh, it's very interesting what you're saying, uh, because that's something I talked with Jerry Hamilton about. Um, He felt like after watching uh, not only Peyton Kirkland, but also the two linemen down in uh, Florida, uh, Damon Wilson, the edge prospect out of Venice, Florida, and then uh, Jonathan Hall out of uh, Jacksonville, big defensive lineman. And then going to see Cedric Baxter practice the very next day, he said all of those guys, they've still got, they've still got so much room to get so much better, more, more physical. Um, he just said that, that, you know, those same guys in Texas would already be maybe a little bit further along physically because their coaches, they'd have year-round football, all of this stuff. Not that they would be better prospects in Texas, just that you would see a more finished product. And he goes, and the, the thing that he likes about it is that means you really don't know what their upside is. It could be, it, it's not only already really, really good, it could be off the charts. And he goes, that's that's where you, you're, that's the difference. He also felt that way about seeing Derek Williams, young man out of New Iberia and, uh, Louisiana this week, uh, the safety that's committed to Texas, said he has got so much room to grow. His dad, a 6'2 safety that Texas has a commitment from, his dad's six foot five. Oh, wow. Jerry got like, Jerry's like, I didn't know that. I mean, how how big is this guy going to really be when, when by the time he gets going? Um, the By the way, the uh, other defensive back you were mentioning in, uh, in uh, Louisiana out of Baton Rouge Woodlawn is Jordan Matthews. And he does make his decision on Monday uh, on Texas football. We'll have uh, coverage of that, obviously, as well as inside Texas. Uh, real quick uh, service announcement here. Paul and I write for InsideTexas.com uh, each and every day. We're on there, uh, along with Eric Nalin, the publisher of Inside Texas, Justin Wells, Jerry Hamilton, Ian Boyd, uh, Will Gallagher's the photog. Uh, Tom he does Yarsh. a great job when he gets uh, he does a great job when he gets uh, press access and. Uh, helps us out with that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a it's a really really strong group of writers. Please join us on InsideTexas.com. Uh, you mentioned the out of state recruiting aspect, okay? And you like what Texas has done. Um, given, I feel like it's almost the Pete Carroll way of recruiting. Pete hmm. Carroll, said, I'm going to stay in California when he was at USC unless I see a first round draft pick and I want to go get him somewhere else. Now, Pete Carroll didn't do that his first couple of years at USC. He built up to that over time. Yeah. You feel like that's somewhat similar to what Sark should try to do, or you feel like it's more what you said, go wherever the players are, period, and don't be bound so much by state? Well, so look, USC is such a unique job because if you can get that university aligned and caring deeply about football – 
and fired up and their alums aligned, they're effectively unopposed. You could argue, I want to actually talk to Jerry about this, get his opinion, but in my opinion, USC has starts with the best recruiting situation of any college football program, simply because they're in the middle of Southern California talent. As much as California's got weird cultural shifts, they still play football there. And there's still places where they take it real seriously. And they put out as many pro athletes as the state of Texas. The difference is... And and it's the most populous state in the country. Yes. I mean... And and USC recruits almost unopposed there if you want to stay home. And then if you want to pitch the California lifestyle, which certainly has appeal to a young college-age male, uh, you can go do that and recruit nationally. Where Texas is different is you got a lot of interlopers. You got a lot of Ohio states. You got a lot of, uh, you know, different years. It's going to be Florida. It's going to be certainly LSU. It's going to be uh, Alabama, of course. You know, we've seen entire top tens in the state of Texas. Nine of the ten go to Ohio State and Alabama, and then three years later, I'm hearing all the names called the NFL draft. So, uh, the thing about recruiting is you have to have clear eyes about the talent level in the state by position. And look, the state of Texas is always going to have great receivers. The, the spread is here to stay. <laughs> For all you wishbone aficionados and the veer, it ain't coming back. So the te- state of Texas is going to churn out elite wide receivers year after year after year guaranteed. What is going to change from year to year is O-line, D-line, linebacker. You know, it's hard to find linebackers nowadays that, that fit the requirements of college defense. Uh Texas just needs to be very clear-eyed about what the talent level is in the state. And when you can stay in state, stay in state. You should. Why wouldn't you? Uh, But if you don't like the quarterback group in the state of Texas, if you don't like the tight ends in the state of Texas, cast a national net and don't be apologetic about it. You know, Texas high school coaches can get offended if you don't sign every single player in your class from the state of Texas. But that's also not realistic. You know, those same high school coaches would gladly accept a late August transfer from a four-star who rolls in from Brookline, Massachusetts, and he's going to make his football team better. They're not going to say, you know, they're not going to be talking about Texas nativism. Yeah. More likely Brockton mass would be a four-star than Brookline. (laughs) Brookline might have some golf clubs. Brockton mass home of. I can't remember that. It's not uh boxer. Who? Boxer, one of the great boxers, the greatest trio of boxers that ever existed in in the lower weight divisions in the 1980s. Hearns? No, he's from Detroit, I thought. Cronk, he's from Detroit. Uh, Marvin Hagler. Oh, really? Hagler, Hearns. You're talking about a football player. No, no, sorry. I've actually been to that high school back way. I can't even remember who I went up there to see. It was when Tim Hasselback was in high school. And I was up there. (laughs) Yeah. That's how far back it is. Um, he was at Zaverian Brothers or something like that, I think, in Westwood, Mass. Um, his dad ran Reebok. Oh, wow. <laughs> the graphic, he, that's rough. Yeah, he's, he, he was pretty well tutored up. I, um, the, the, the thing that uh, we talk about here, it's, it's interesting. I went last week. Uh, I haven't mentioned this on any other shows or anything else really public. But uh, I went um, early last week to a uh, convention symposium of sorts for recruiting and personnel for college football teams. I think there were 
easily 400 people there. Okay. And it was guys that evaluate players. It was recruiting coordinators, personnel directors, and then the actual people that recruit players. Right. And when I tell you, I was just almost stunned by the number of people at, at that symposium, Paul, uh, because when I was first started doing this, literally there was the eight assistant coaches. There was one recruiting coordinator and there were uh, some secretaries that helped mail out stuff in the office. Right now, I, I think there were, I would be, I think at least 10 people there from the university of Texas alone at this symposium that work in recruiting personnel. I, Texas was not the only school there with that number of people. I mean, it is widespread. Um, it was eye-opening for me as a guy, long-term observer of this uh, industry, so to speak, to see just how much that's changed. And I, I bring all this up in recruiting uh, because I do feel something else is happening in recruiting when you go out of state. I think you're getting better intel on the players now. Um, one of the reasons you you one of the things that you would stay in state for all your players for is ostensibly because you would have a great relationship with the high school coach. And Daryl Royal would call up that high school coach and said, tell me what's really going on with this cornerback you have over there or with this offensive lineman and tell me the real stuff. Should I re should I um, recruit him or not? That those kind of relationships don't exist anymore. I, I guess they do exist, but they are few and far between. And I think that because of the amount of personnel, uh, the amount of evaluation you can do on film, all of those things combined, you get just as good at intel uh, on a guy from Orlando, Florida, as you do El Campo, Texas. Hmm. That's just the way this, is, this, this whole thing's going. And so I think that as you go out of state more, and Ohio State's a team that's proven that. They've, they've switched from being Ohio-centric almost, almost exclusively. In the, I mean, from the 70s through the, the 90s into the Jim Trestle regime, he, he cherry-picked a couple guys. But they went totally national recruiting with just a little bit of taste of Ohio. Um, and they've been super successful, and they haven't had a bunch of big washouts. You know, they, they've, they've bridged that gap, right? What a, what a terrific point. I had not considered that. And you would think it's got to be some staffing. It's got to be huddle. It's got to be proliferation of social media. It's all that. It's camps, right? You're getting measurables. But you're getting the off-the-field stuff too, right? Um, you, also, you always used to hear these stories in college basketball and college football where they'd sign the out-of-state recruit and the kid would show up to campus and that defensive lineman is 5'11 and not 6'2 and a half, right? Uh, you know, all of us who played high school football at the program, uh, we were an inch or two taller at about 10 or 15 pounds heavier, uh, particularly if you played, uh, you know, the front seven. So um, yeah, I used to laugh when we'd, I'd see our program and I'd be like, really? I'm 240, huh? Oh, okay. I'll, we'll go with that. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's a great point. And you know, Bobby, I remember 
distinctly uh, an Oklahoma Sooner fan that I, I know who's a pretty good, smart, analytical guy said that Stoops, when they won that national title with, with an incredible coaching job, with an incredible coaching job with that team in 2000, they suddenly had the gates opened to them nationally, that they could go anywhere and get recruits. And they did that. And they signed these elite classes. And those classes didn't quite achieve the way people thought. And they had a ton of washouts, a ton of character issues. They had, you know, a lot of stuff that they covered up as well as some of the stuff that hit the press. And then Stoops realized like, hey, I need to still build out the core of my team in, in DFW in Central Texas. I need the Derek Straits. I need those guys uh, to, to build my culture. And then I can go cherry pick. And they had a little bit of a shift back. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting thought, Bobby. I had not thought about it as clearly as you have. That's exactly right. You can get as good at Intel about a guy in, in freaking Beaumont, Texas as Orlando, Florida. Why, why not? Of course you can. If you put in the time and effort. Well, I mean, hire a personnel guy that has experience wherever. And all of a sudden you've got experience as much experience there as, as you do in parts of Houston. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't seem like it should be that way, but reality uh, says different. Uh, you speak about uh, guys showing up being shorter. I have a great Bum Phillips story on that. Oh, bring it. Uh, I love Bum. Bum. Bum Phillips was an assistant at UTEP. And he, tell, he told a story one time in front of a group of co coaches at a, at a place that I was at. This was God. This is back in the 90s. And he said that he, um, he was at UTEP. And they were trying to find anybody they could sign, right? And a guy sent in their, his film. They didn't talk really to the high school coach uh, very much. They, he sent in his film, said, wow, this guy's pretty good. We should take him. Well, they took him. And they did call the, 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 the head coach. And the head coach goes, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he plays for us. And you sure you want him? Yeah, yeah. Well, his grade's good. Yeah. And Got all the yes and stuff, and but still didn't have a great feeling about it. Well, it turns out that kid had said he was a different number. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's how little, you know, sometimes, I mean, people don't realize that it used to be, we think it's the Wild West now with runners or possible agents or seven on seven, any of that stuff. It, you know. Mischief follows you no matter where. Just the, the days or the, the time step stamp changes, right? It's just well, that's <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> I'd heard a bunch of those stories specifically for basketball, right? Because you get a lot of exaggeration. You know, that six foot two and a half high school forward is listed as six six, so he gets college letters, and you know, it's they always do the in shoes thing, right? No other sport. I always laugh. Jerry does it sometimes like, well, that guy's six, eight in shoes. I was like, well, they're all wearing shoes, Jerry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're just so used to saying that now, uh, like, you know, what's the true height? What's the true, true size. But yeah, I mean, I got to think the proliferation of spark and all the camps has helped too, because, you know, there's the, there, there's, there's running backs who are program system running backs in, in great, like Katie playing for Katie high. Right. That the starting running back there is going to run for 2,800 yards. Okay, that's happening. I don't care what his 40 time is, whether it's a 4.85 or a 4.45. But now you get these kids to camps and you have them run. And 
if he goes out and, and knocks out a four eight five, you just moved him to a different level, and you don't really care what his statistical and product you know productivity is. Uh, you know, he's going to get recruited by UTEP. He's not getting recruited by Miami and Texas and, and Texas A and M. So, yeah, I just there's a lot more uh, data, and uh, you know, we're a data rich society. Why would it not apply to high school athletes? I've got a, a big one for you to, to end this uh, episode. One week from today, uh, Texas has its second scrimmage. At that time, do we find out who the starting quarterback is for the 2022 Longhorns? Ooh, post like post scrimmage press conference? Not not necessarily a press conference because it's going to be a night scrimmage. But do we really know who the guy is one week from today? We'll do like the mass singer, that stupid mass singer show where you have the reveal at the end. It's Quinn Ewers. <laughs> uh, that is a great question. What are the, I need to know all the transfer outs. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's a thing. I, okay. I, think the, I don't think they can do anything and be eligible immediately unless they're already graduated. Well, I, I do. I do question. Look, I I'm of the belief that both quarterbacks are going to play, whether by choice or of necessity. Uh, I just think it's it's unrealistic to think your starting quarterback is going to play and start every game in college football nowadays. Uh, you're you're going to have a game or two where they get dinged up, and you know you might want to have to play someone else. At the very minimum, they get, might get a Charlie horse, and they got to you know got the other guy's got to go play a quarter, but. Um, will we have our quarterback second one week from now? Dang. I was thinking it would just be announced the week of ULM. Honestly, I, I thought it would be announced that preceding Saturday or Sunday before that week of practice. That, that was my guess. So maybe it was, a, what is that? The 20, 25th, something like that. Yep. Yep. What do you think? I, so I feel like, um, I feel like Sark already knows who his starter is uh, based on some, some early comments he had uh, early in camp said he wanted to make a decision earlier. Uh, I feel like we'll see what that, that is. It may not be in line with what other people want, but uh, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like we'll definitely know, not necessarily the public won't know, but I feel like the team will know at least one week from today because that second scrimmage is a big it's it can be the one where people lock down starting positions because to your point they start game prep right and so they need to know um, who's going and and who's not and so i think a week from a week from today we're going to know or at least the team will know and thereby i think that, that some uh, thought processes will leak to uh, <laughs> folks uh, in the media at some point well, when, when Malik Murphy is announced, I want you to have me back on the show. And we're going to break it down and talk right, about what it means it. in long. All right, Paul Wadlington, uh, please remember Thinking Texas Football, uh, the author. Uh, he is uh, also a longtime analyst and a reporter, writer uh, for InsideTexas.com. Uh, Paul, I appreciate you being here. Uh, another good episode with you, man. I always enjoy uh, talking to you. Uh, for Paul Wadlington, I'm Bobby Burton, and this has been On Texas Football.